0: Our second scripture passage comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Please listen for a word from God. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name, the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee, should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let us pray. Christ our King, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts. Be pleasing in your sight, our humble, righteous God. Amen. This is the final week of our series on Philippians, on being citizens of heaven, and how appropriate that we end this passage with this chapter on Christ the King Sunday, beckoning us to be imitators of Christ. But in order to imitate Christ, I think we need to observe what is causing us to not imitate Christ. What is limiting us from becoming like Christ? What is preventing us from seeking justice, from loving mercy, from walking humbly? To answer this, I look to St. Augustine, one of the greatest Western theologians, certainly one of the most famous, and he quotes the Apocrypha. And saying that pride is the beginning of sin. That all our vices and evils and works of the flesh, pride is at the head. But pride is a big word. It can mean a lot of things. So I want to break down how I think pride manifests itself in our lives. We have two sort of motivations for pride. And I think the first is really wonderfully exemplified in the character of Brie. Now, my Wednesday Night Live class has been going through the Chronicles of Narnia, and we just finished The Horse and His Boy, and in The Horse and His Boy, we meet a character who is a talking horse named Bree. Bree is a war horse who has been captured from his native Narnia as a young fowl and is forced to live and to grow up in a foreign land, in an alien land, where there are no talking animals, none of his kindred. And the book is a sojourn for him and his companions back to Narnia, back to their home. And throughout the novel, we consistently see Bree attempting to elevate himself above his group, to put his group down so he is exalted. He's actually really quite annoying, he talks to his friends in pejorative terms. He's always speaking down to others. You just become seriously irked with Bree until you realize the motivation behind his narcissistic pride. The source is that he's terrified. He's insecure. He's deeply uncomfortable with the idea of returning to his home. He's terribly afraid that he won't be accepted. He won't belong. He won't be loved. So he overcompensates with this unwavering pride, this confidence and swagger, in order to feel like he belong. He belongs. He brings others down so that he may lift himself up. Another sort of pride that exists in our world, I think, takes the perfect image of that famous sea captain Ahab from Melville's Moby Dick. This is a man whose unrelenting fervor, his zeal to ascend, leads ultimately to the destruction of himself and those around him. He sets off on this voyage, this whaling voyage, to destroy that white whale, Moby Dick, who ate his leg. And so his pride, his desire, his all-consuming ardor Grows all throughout the journey, and eventually he gets to the point where he disregards all safety, feelings, concerns of others, and spoiler alert him and his entire crew die, minus Ishmael, the writer of the book. They're killed by the whale. Ahab's own hatred and passions and thirst to be God ends, and not only hurt his hurt and desolation, but all around him. I'm speaking of that pride that regards one's self, one's passions, one's desires above all around him, above all the collective. It is the exaltation of self. I think we have these moments in our lives. We probably can look back in our lives at how the pride in ourselves has ruled us. Whether that's born out of fear, insecurity, thirst of power, zeal of ambition, sureness of opinion. Our pride elevates us in order to put others down. We become the ultimate goal. You may be, identif- be able to identify when perhaps your own pride really hurt another person, or maybe your church hurt another person, or maybe A group that you were a part of hurt another person because this destructive pride isn't only individual, but it can be communal as well. But whether the pride is communal or individual, like Ahab and his crew, it leads to the sinking of the ship. So the question becomes, how do we live our lives that this pride does not rule us? It does not destroy our community. It does not hurt those around us. How do we hold off this very natural inclination within ourselves? This inclination to elevate myself and my group above another people or above another person. How do I combat this insecurity, this fear that prevents me from putting others first because my own anxiety says, look out for number one. Look out for yourself. Well, Paul is keenly aware of this pride. Paul, who wrote this letter to Philippians, Paul, who wrote many, many letters in the New Testament. He was an ambitious young man whose pride motivated him. He's aware of the pride of the churches he serves. He's aware of the pride from leaders he regularly interacts with and writes letters to. He's seen how pride can destroy and corrupt in misshaped communities, Paul knows pride. But he also knows something else. Paul has tasted, Paul has experienced the unmistakable, utterly transforming, perfect, self-giving love of Jesus Christ. And that is what he's writing about in this letter to the Philippians all throughout the new churches that Paul has helped to establish, all those churches he's written helping to settle disputes, helping to settle conflicts, and in the end he sums up the answer to all those vices, all those wedges that drive between us. He says, what if we became imitators of Jesus Christ? What if we sought to move in the way in which he moved? What if we were humble like Christ he points us to what humility of imitating christ looks like in the world christ who emptied himself of all power to demonstrate love christ who emptied himself so that all who are oppressed can know jesus has been where they are that jesus has solidarity with them jesus christ who emptied himself so all who are hurting in life from abandonment from lostness from loneliness from physical pain can look to a God who says, I have been there, and I am there with you now. A God whose love can never not reach you, because there's no darkness that can envelop Christ's light, no storms and swells he cannot silence with a word, no sorrow he has not tasted as well. Christ, who descended below his station, who descended to the lowest part of humanity so that all could know love. That is humility. That is sacrifice. That is love. And that is how we combat pride. That is how we combat division in and amongst ourselves with humility, with love, and with grace when that pride is born out of fear and insecurity, when that is overcoming to every part of our lives, we look to Christ. And we claim the truth of the identity that as beloved children of God, we are loved. And that overcomes our insecurity and our fear. And this is how we move toward humbleness with Christ, by acknowledging the fact that the God of the universe humbled themselves below where you are now. And God started in a lot higher position. And not only that, but every person you disagree with, every person that irritates you, every person you cannot get along with, every person on the internet who frustrates you, Christ humbled themselves for that person, too. And that makes them and that makes you pretty darn special. And if God humbled God's self to the point of death, I think we can humble ourselves to the point of hearing others' differing opinions. I think we can humble ourselves to the point of acknowledging we may be wrong. I think we can humble ourselves to the point where we can disagree politically but still work together to serve the kingdom of God. As Thomas Akempis wrote, who literally wrote the book on imitating Christ, his book, The Imitation of Christ, says, If God were our one and only desire, we would not be so easily upset when our opinions do not find outside acceptance. Church, we must not let our own pride, our own demand for our opinions to be heard, our own sureness of correctness interfere with caring. For the downcast, for the poor, for the broken-hearted, for the oppressed. We work together so that Christ's love may reign supreme. Because church, like Ahab's crew, one person's pride has the ability to disrupt and destroy a whole community. But like Christ. One person's humility and love has the power to uplift the entire world. As imitators of Christ, we must be willing to give up our own rights, to give up our own Facebook opinions, to give up our own power so that others may know love. And we know we can do this because Christ has done it for me. Christ has done it for you. Christ has done it for you. Christ has done it for each person. So let us go out and humbly seek justice and humbly show mercy and humbly, together, demonstrate Christ's love to the entire world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.